0: Welcome back to the Football Index Podcast, episode 103, 103 episodes in, and today I'm rejoined by the great PB man, a 200 plus K portfolio guy who seems to have his portfolio spread across only like 30, 40 or 50 players, and he's uh, been making a few waves on Football Index Twitter recently, so how are you doing today, man? Why don't you remind people about your football index journey a little bit yeah so fairly standard i think
1: it's same as most people's in that you know well i am a better (laughs) work in the gambling industry so i know a few things about it hopefully well if i don't i'm good at pretending and then yeah kind of saw it initially a few years ago thought it looked uh, it was only media at that point didn't really appeal to me yeah, kind of a strange product, but it was always in like the back of my mind that like, I think probably the reason it resonated with me was like, I was watching Leipzig play one day and I was like, I wish I could buy shares in like Navigator. I was like, that's the player. I wish that there's no way to bet on him. I wish I could like buy shares in this player and then just hold them because he looks like an absolute star. And then yeah, just stumbled across it again one day and I was like, oh, I can buy shares in Navigator. Excellent. And then that's kind of how it started.
0: Nice, nice. And when did you go a bit bigger on the platform?
1: Pretty quickly, sort of post the World the 2018 World Cup. So I kind of had like a small amount in like relatively, maybe like £10,000 up to the World Cup. And then after that, I was like, the value proposition here is ridiculous. I, I got my spreadsheet. I divided the price of the player by the dividend returns. I was like, oh, Pogba's done 25% this year in dividends tax-free <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's quite a good
0: return so yeah maybe i should start doing this properly nice and were you kind of cautious about that or was it kind of trusting in your maths and your spreadsheet
1: yeah no the only thing i was cautious about was the company itself to be honest so like um in terms of, like betting and stuff i i, I trust myself it's um yeah just how the product itself was set up that took a little bit to get my head around once i was kind of confident with that i was confident with putting money in basically
0: nice nice and uh, yeah it's, it's certainly a unique proposition and one that it does take a while to get your head around and i think a lot of people dm me always asking like oh what about this and what about that but this doesn't really make sense and i think you it's really hard from the outside in unless you're on the platform to really understand how it works. So it's interesting to see that obviously you come in from kind of a betting background of working in that industry. It probably took you a bit uh, shorter amount of time to acclimatize. But many people, especially those that are on the platform, they find it really hard to kind of understand how their business model works. Oh, yeah. So recently I've had kind of a
1: friend sign up who doesn't know anything about football. So he's only looking at the product, which is really interesting to watch. Like without, without any. <laughs> how's he?
0: How's he getting along? Well, wow. <laughs> really? really well. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's just like he's got no biases, I suppose. I don't know how far you could go with it. Like he can't, he can lean on kind of people around him who know about football. But it's quite an interesting experiment to see what happens.
0: Yeah, I think it's. I don't know. It's really interesting to hear that. What <laughs> what's his kind of like tactic then? Uh, buying all the dips. <laughs> he could, he's
1: um so he's traded stocks and stuff I think. So he's to just yeah a growing market. He just buys the dips of the players. That's it basically. <laughs> Which, <laughs> when players are coming back from injury, priced higher than they were when they got injured,
0: kind of works I suppose. Mm-hmm, certainly. If there are enough people buying those dips, then it can be quite a fruitful strategy.
1: Yeah, if everybody has the same strategy, it's self-fulfilling, isn't it? If there's enough of him sat there waiting for a dip and buying, then yeah, just getting off those dips, I suppose, the hard part.
0: Mm-hmm. But I suppose there are enough buyers, especially when a player comes back from injury and they're back on the pitch, that hype kind of tends to amplify a little bit and they do often come back higher than they they were there's also this interesting thing in football generally where I've seen it as an Arsenal fan with Rob Holding right he's (laughs) been injured for like since December and suddenly people are like oh he's gonna kind of save our defense and he's gonna come straight back into the side he'll get into the England team same with Hector Bellerin like who is probably a, a far better player and probably one of the better right backs in you know the Premier League but it's kind of like people make these players out to be far better than they are because they've been out for so long because they can't criticise their mistakes. Oh,
1: absolutely. absolutely. We see that all the time is that um, buying the myth is quite a profitable thing to do. It's the same with um, players that aren't in PB leagues. They're, they're fabulous for PB until they actually play in a PB game. <laughs> So mm, mm. yeah, it's a similar kind of thing. It's easy to there's kind of no argument to like we don't have any recent memory of Rob Holden playing, so it's hard to argue that he's not Virgil Van Dyke until it turns out he isn't, which yeah. he probably isn't.
0: Yeah, probably isn't. Probably, probably isn't. probably isn't. Maybe it is. Uh, maybe. Maybe he can become that. I'd hope so. <laughs> um, we've got some miscellaneous questions here. Taking Valley, who was on the podcast um, a few episodes ago. I don't know if you listened to this one, PB, man. It was really interesting. Uh, I didn't actually. Maybe I should. I'll go back. I think you two are, are kind of on a similar wavelength. So yeah, I think I've seen, seen him around Twitter and he seems like a smart guy for sure. Mm, mm. Uh He says, "Do you do any other forms of trading or gambling, and are you successful at them?" Yeah,
1: betting. <laughs> I kind of bet less now that I'm on. The, I've kind of moved my bankroll into the index to be fair because the risk versus reward is for it has been very um favorable. But I guess like, so, my portfolio primarily comes from I started gambling with like 500 pound when I finished uni. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of all from that really yeah better up to an amount moved into index and then it's grown again so yeah reasonably successfully hopefully
0: what were your kind of tactics when you were gambling on a more traditional basis yeah it's not like sustainable long-term things do
1: get banned quite quickly or limited by bookmakers and the exchanges don't necessarily have the liquidity for me to work in so i was primarily focused on like player props so anytime goal scorer a player to score a certain number of goals in the season to finish top scorer in a tournament that kind of thing so yeah um, kind of quite useful for the index I suppose that kind yeah. Of stuff. yeah
0: did you put any uh, long
1: term bets on at the beginning of the season I got Tammy Abraham top goal scorer that was 125 to 1 I think he was that's not going on too badly is nah, it no I got each way as well so that's quite good but again I'm quite, mm. I had to get someone to place it for me because I'm limited <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, and hopefully that one goes all right. I rated Brighton quite highly as well. They kind of projected quite well, but they haven't hit the ground running yet, I don't think. I think they might improve, to be fair, when Trossard's back.
0: But yeah. They are very highly rated by the analytics community, aren't they? In terms of how they've kind of scouted and and bought players. It's been very Liverpool-esque, but the smaller team version. Yeah, budget Liverpool, basically. (laughs) But
1: yeah, they... So yeah, they're owned by Tony Bloom, who's a professional gambler, kind of using stats to get that edge, like picking up players like Pascal Gross for like cheap money. Um, yeah, so whenever they sign a player, you kind of look into him and think, oh, maybe there's something there. It hasn't worked all the time. Like, Jachan hasn't done what I thought he would, which is a bit of a mm. shame. But yeah, maybe the follies of non-PB leagues again, how much would he have been before he moved to Brighton?
0: Hmm.
1: He was top goal scorer and top assistor for AZ Alkmaar, I think, was he? So Alkmaar he played for, was it Heron, whichever team he was playing for, he was, yeah, outrageous.
0: And then I don't, I don't know if he did too well at the World Cup. Was he at the World
1: Cup? Yeah, he was at the World Cup, but yeah. in fairness, he was playing for Iran, who aren't the most expansive team quite often. <laughs>
0: Um, we've got another question here from Matthew a Show Pony, who I think we know quite well. Incredible artwork! I think he's referring to the the image that he, he kind made. Artwork. Yeah, very, he did, very yeah, good, yeah, Matthew. So he's <laughs> his own home. <laughs> My question is: Do you wear Sensi pajamas to bed? And also, what's your worst trade? Your Max Arnold, if you will. Well, the first
1: question, Matthew, if you want to send me some Sensi pajamas, I I will definitely wear them to bed. So, if you can find those, that would be excellent. Worst hold, I was actually talking about this the other day, it was, um, the worst hold isn't a player I actually lost any money on, but Leon Bailey, who was one of my first, like when I first initially put quite a lot of money into the index, he was one of my big holdings, and has kind of remained, I've kept, held those shares for like, so since July, so coming up for a year and a half now. Wow. And he's only up 50%, which... um. Some people kind of hear that and think that's being like cocky or something that is only 50%, but that's a that re- like in terms of the, I think how much the index growing that time is at least trebled players like Sancho Hudson, Adoy, like fairly reasonable buys at that point in time are up over like 300, 400% hmm, hmm. and Bailey, like that month, the opportunity cost of that money is ridiculous. Like if I had to put that into Sancho at the time yeah <laughs> it would have done a lot better
0: yeah i'm I'm just on the index now and like even if you look at a year ago lataro martinez who i'm just going on the risers list right yeah um who isn't even someone who you'd think back in your mind like who are the top risers of the past year you'd think of you know the sanchos the Harlands, the oh, there's, there's loads, even there? like napri is, yeah yeah, yeah exactly Um Lautaro's gone from eighty four pence to one pound sixty one, so almost doubled in a year. And if you compare someone who isn't even seen as someone who's doing amazingly on FI, then I suppose, you know, that's quite an indicator that Leon Bailey hasn't really done that well. No, he's done very, very poorly. So I'm plus I
1: just opened it plus forty three percent on him. Which sounds great until you realise that yeah, I could've literally picked basically any player
0: and done better so it's yeah, it's a very bad holding sammy abraham's nearly 10x in the last oh, year you
1: can go down like every yeah. single other player i've bought has been like sterling like very obvious players it's not like you would have to be particularly clever to beat that money so that's definitely like a blunder so mm. even though it's he's very in green is it that money uh, that's cost me so even though it's, he's like plus 1400 or something that's probably cost me Several thousand pound at least holding up there, so that's a terrible holding. Kind of, it makes think like um, do you know the blindfolded monkeys throwing darts? Well, I kind of do, but go on. That is a study. It's Burton Malkiel, I think it was. He did a study where, so he got the list of stocks on the American Stock Exchange and had blindfolded monkeys throw he they didn't actually throw darts them i don't think because metaphor but the randomly selected um stocks and they outperformed some of the big head fund managers so basically like i'm losing to the blindfolded monkey there like they could have <laughs> a blindfolded monkey could have gone down and picked any player and he probably would have done better than neil bailey in that time but the odds were with the monkey which um yeah suggests it wasn't a brilliant holding <laughs>
0: And speaking of maybe not so brilliant holdings, football freaks ask how your Benteke trade went and whether or not you're still holding. <laughs> yeah, I think that's in reference to um, maybe we can refer to it as Arnold Gate from now on.
1: Arnold Gate. That sounds <laughs> quite good. But yeah, based in the midst of kind of arguments, people kind of dug through old tweets, and that was kind of you know a joke, an attempt at a joke I made. I think it was. It's kind of funny. I was getting accused of pumping Benteke because it was just a screenshot of Benteke with um, an "Always Sunny in Philadelphia" quote above him. <laughs> 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 I think the quote was, "I like it was something about playing both sides, so you come out, out on top." The line between genius and madness, or something like that. So yeah, just mm. a silly joke, really. But yeah, I think I probably sold that at a slight loss, to be honest. But um, it wasn't a big holding, and Benteke anyway is. One of my favourite players I think. It's quite he's really interesting to me. I don't know if you've ever seen his stats, but he's either become the most unlucky player in the world or he's just completely forgotten how to finish a football. I don't know which it is.
0: I mean, it can happen to players though, can't it? You know, Fernando Torres going from the Liverpool to Chelsea just kind of forgot how to score. Yeah, I think Torres was more about getting the chance. Though. I think he lost like, a yard of pace and
1: stuff like that. Whereas been is mm. consistently in the positions to score the goals. The exact same kind of stats he was putting up uh, Aston Villa and Liverpool before and in his first season in Palace. And for some reason, it won't go in for him. I don't know exactly what's wrong with him. Whether he... I seem to remember him hitting the woodwork quite a lot as well, which is, I don't know why. Yeah, I might try and pull up his stats actually, but it's... So you're familiar with expected goals, right? I'm not sure. Yes. Listeners
0: familiar for, for, look up expected goals basically. If you don't, if you're not familiar with them, it's basically how many goals a player is expected to score based on kind of the chances they have and the quality of shots that they have. Yeah, precisely. So
1: uh, if we're looking at per ninety figures, like uh so Bentancur in his first season at Palace scored 15 Premier League goals. He was going along at 0.5 XG per 90. So he's expected to score half a goal a game. And he scored like two. He was So his expected goal total for that season was 17. He scored 15. Fair enough. The next season, his numbers dropped slightly to 0.45. He scored three goals from 11 expected goals.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you've got a guy there that's putting up the numbers of like a double figure Premier League striker and somehow only scoring three goals. And um, yeah, so <laughs> that buy was kind of a funny one where like if, if Benteke regressed to his mean, um, then he'd probably be quite good value at that price. Um Benteke appears to be immune to regressions to the mean, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Maybe he has literally just forgotten how to kick a football, but I don't know. Or yeah, he's just ridiculous the unlucky. We'll find out over the
0: course of the season, hopefully, if he gets his place back in the team. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one, I think. You'd think he hasn't forgotten how to shoot, but confidence is a, a strange thing for strikers, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It's it's really
1: interesting to, because he's getting at that same position. Like, what's going on? I'd love to see a video of all Benteke shots to see, like it is just like ridiculous goalkeeper says hitting the woodwork whether he's just like slicing everything that comes his way
0: <laughs> probably the latter probably rammy fi has a question who do you think would win a, in a battle to the death between a ram and a panda
1: mm, he's not specifies the size of the panda or the ram there which is um that's important you don't want a small ram against a big panda panda mm. right so uh, assuming they similar size, maybe the Ram?
0: I don't mm. know. Yeah. Um,
1: pandas, don't not known for fighting, they're more flight, I think. But if it was a fight to the death, there is no flight option. <laughs> so we'd finally get to see what the Pandas got. We would, we would. Yeah, maybe the Ram. I'd probably go with the Ram if it was an even mm. money bet. Unless the Panda knew Kung Fu, in which case... <laughs>
0: i'd probably agree with you yeah ram if they're the same size then the ram's gonna just smack it It's got it's more smack it. Right. It's yeah. hit it uh <laughs> it's not this isn't a very ethical fight i don't think peter would <laughs> no. be impressed um index profit hunter when did it occur to you that you are the goat of the index so he clearly you know rates you quite highly that's nice a couple of animal yeah. themed questions there i like
1: that kind of kind of natural segue you, you missed a chance with a pun there you could have come
0: up with something i'm sure i'm sure i could have but my brain just isn't working today so uh <laughs> <laughs> that's understandable <laughs> yeah
1: i don't think there is a go to the index i mean the reason i use twitter is that there's a lot of people with different views that their opinions do hold some weight and I've actually kind of switched up my own trading based on things people have said or seeing what other people are doing. I've been a lot more aggressive this season, which has paid off, and that's kind of been from I'm naturally more, I prefer to sit and hold players that I think are undervalued, but having seen like returns of some other traders, I've kind of switched up a bit. So actually, yeah, you know, that's the main reason to use Twitter really is that you can make more money because you can, there's this big hive mind of information. Some of it, more useful than others I'd say but yeah yeah wouldn't, wouldn't label myself the goat of the index thanks Profit Hunter though that's good to hear
0: he's not bad at the old trading though is he Profit Hunter he's no. also very 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 good oh, at yeah. fantasy football yeah exactly. very good at fantasy football <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can hear pain in your voice there is he winning your league no, he's ridiculously good it was like last year he came top of the football index league that had like 300 people in it yeah that's. and he came good. top by like an absolute distance as well like ridiculous so yeah obviously there's some parallels there go to fantasy premier league index proper yeah like the go go, the FPL. before we get into some uh, proper questions just need to tell you guys that this podcast episode is brought to you in partnership with smart scout so you guys may have heard uh, their ceo dan Altman on my podcast talking about smart scout their platform so smarter is the only place to find advanced player analytics for up to 40 leagues from around the world see cutting edge data visualizations make adjustments for league strength and spot young prospects before anyone else premium membership is just five dollars a month and you can actually use my code fig 2019 to get your first three months free only at smarter scout.com. so you've got nothing to lose there free three months have a gander see if there's any young players that you can spot it's quite cool you kind of adjust for so if a player's playing in like Belgium you can see how they'd be performing in the Premier League based on their stats in Belgium which is really interesting so uh, do check that out I don't know if you've seen it around PB man uh listen to the podcast with the guy right
1: yes yeah that was good I haven't looked into it yet I probably have to
0: (laughs) forcing your hand Uh, got some questions first and foremost about your strategy here football index focus how long did it take for you to have confidence to be able to go bigger on a smaller number of players my personal issue is a lack of conviction and wanting to spread my risk around which almost certainly reduces my maximum profitability yeah it's a good question i was
1: reasonably confident right away maybe that comes from kind of coming from betting where you're dealing with quite large sums of money and making decisions on them i naturally want to kind of maximize where i see the value is there's always a trade-off isn't there because even if a player's tremendous value he can do an acl or something and be out or retire or disappear to china or something like that so you've always got to bear that in mind kind of i'm not sure how familiar people are with like staking and betting but in in betting, the Kelly criterion is quite often discussed. Are you familiar with that? Um, no, please do explain. So that's about like weighting bets based on how big an edge you have. So the bigger mm. the edge, the more of your bankroll you put on them. Yeah. So like people use like half Kelly as well. So Kelly criterion, like if you have like a really good bet, it kind of suggests you put a large amount of your bankroll on it, which obviously if the bet, bet then goes wrong. You end up um getting wiped out basically, like not wiped out it eliminates the risk of you getting wiped out, but uh, see pretty much to all extensive purposes wiped out. Where it's like kind of a half Kelly kind of edges it back a little bit. Um I'm trying to think about how this applies the next, but it's like um
0: That's what I was gonna ask. Yeah. Like what gives you the edge on certain players? Is it information? Is it a lack of bias? What is it that makes you have that kind of moment where you say okay I've got the edge on this corner of the market let me leverage that and go bigger yes yeah, so it's all about information so like there is an element of playing the market
1: like sometimes you look at some players and you think okay um if this guy can be like this guy blah, blah 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 that's a dangerous line of thought in quite a lot of cases but it does play on your mind a little bit but primarily you Having better information or interpreting the information better is the main thing I, I try and do. So, for example, so Golovin recently I had good success on. Uh, the reason behind that was he was really overlooked because his scoring was bad. I oh, was bad with like inverted commas. Um, so his scoring was actually quite good, but Monaco kept having players sent off. So from a cursory glance at like a spreadsheet, you would think, oh, he's like fairly average but if you wait it for the fact that they've been playing with 10 men and he still managed to put up decent stats and still had a goal threat, um then you can kind of see that like, oh he's probably been missed in a general market rise like with since the start of the season we've seen attacking midfielders on set pieces kind of rise across the board he kind of got left behind because he didn't do anything to stand out but that was primarily because monaco weren't good. So that extra piece of information added to the data kind of gives me what I would hope would be an edge. And then it turned out like maybe it's pure luck. He went and smacked in two goals and got a massive score. But I would say if I'm doing that enough times, then I'm going to strike on a few of those players fairly
0: often. I thought about the other day, it'd be really interesting to look at kind of teams that are really, really underperforming. I don't know why I thought this, but teams that are doing really badly and then have a look at who are the best performers in those teams or even actually the worst performers. So there could be value in in either one, whether there's going to be an upturn in form, a change of management. There's kind of those things that, that can make it a player rise very substantially because they're going off a kind of a low base where there's not much volatility to oh crap this guy hasn't moved in the month or he's gone down for a month and a half like he's going to explode because he's done really well yeah i love those kind of players when there's a change of manager
1: or for whatever reason they've been underperforming maybe like they've been under their expected goal stats as well as a favorite of mine like young players that haven't quite like we've seen with Harit this season and players like that and Golovin himself actually kind of they're in their early 20s they've had a season where they haven't been like as good as they could be but the fact they're in their mm. early 20s like progression isn't linear they so they kind of have a dip down and pe- the hype dies a bit and then suddenly they, they start hitting the player they could be and then we're off again that kind of thing yeah that's where at least for me I see the big rises like Odegaard, another one, kind of elapsed lapsed wonderkid that is actually only twenty, like, um, no, and better than a lot of the other wonder Kids, So when you kind of weight that to it, you, like, I'm quite confident going big on a player like that that I think's been missed, maybe because there's a bias there against them, or their stats have been suppressed for some reason, playing for a bad team or bad manager, or just a system that doesn't make the most of them. Like, state is great, but it's not you need to interpret it right and it's not a gospel um things do change it's about making use of both i guess is like
0: applying that
1: data with the new information you get
0: there shouldn't be a situation where you only make your decisions from data it's i think people sometimes can get bogged down by those things and look at kind and not look at intangibles enough i think we saw that quite a lot actually at the beginning of the season with the likes of Deme Bai and and a few other guys that transferred clubs and had these massive changes in their situations and people just thought that the previous data that they had in another situation was going to automatically translate into the new one. And look, sometimes that works amazingly with the likes of Mo Salah. At Liverpool, you know, when he came over Fiorentina, he had amazing stats. And I think the podcast with Dan Altman uh, from Smart Scout, he was kind of describing how, if you look at it, In hindsight, it was such an obvious transfer and if you look at his stats based on kind of the difficulty of the Premier League, he would have still put up amazing numbers. Maybe not the numbers that we saw in his first season, but still really good ones. And so people, I think, got caught out slightly at the beginning of the summer buying those players that, oh, they're definitely going to do well at this new team when those situations changing can have an actual adverse effect.
1: Some of it can be ridiculous, like a player moving to a better team where he loses penalties, for example. I don't want to name names and cause a crash, but um, there's a player who's moved clubs, He scored seven goals last season, all seven were penalties, and he's moved to a club where he's not taken penalties, and he's risen. And you're like, "Um, yeah, (laughs) maybe maybe (laughs) we should have considered that before we bought him. But yeah, that's why like a little bit of data is a dangerous thing like a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing like you can like pb averages is obviously the one i hate but (laughs) like just using data poorly can be as bad as not using data
0: at all or even worse why are you such a a hater on on the PP averages so to speak because I think it's interesting because we've had I think Joel football index a B or analysis who's one of the edge founders so guy who who loves his data who who does actually like the average PB score for one reason or another so and I know you really dislike it so why don't you delve into that a little I bit.
1: it has some merit for flagging players maybe with consistently high scores but I would use the example of, so a player who scored 180 points every single week would have a tremendous PB average, but he would probably never win PB. Um, there's quite a lot of players like that, where they have like a re- like the players with like high averages, quite often like defensive midfield players and things like that, where if they don't score goals, they're not going to win basically. Um, whereas so like... And attacking midfield who doesn't touch the ball too much or whatever might explode one day with a hat trick or yeah things like that where averages can kind of be misleading. I think Alexander Arnold and Robertson is Twitter's main conversation today, and that's kind of focusing on averages as well. Where like they've got a similar average, but if you look at like hitting peak scores, uh, only one of them does it really to a big extent. Although Robertson scored last night, but. Um. Yeah, so averages, mm, <laughs> But I think maybe they have a use to flag a player. I'd rather use, if I'm going to flag a player, I'd rather use a base score if I'm
0: going that way and ignoring goals. Interesting, interesting. I think the other thing is about those players that maybe don't have a great average score, but then have a really high peak score or, or have the potential to get those high peak scores is that they're, returns one they're going to be more explosive but also probably the capital appreciation is going to be more explosive so that means that you know sometimes you see it with these average pb scorers that they kind of gradually go up you've kind of marked them and then by the time you look at them again it's 15 percent up but with these guys that kind of have the high spike scores sometimes you mark them you look at them again in a month they've only gone like two percent up but that's probably because they haven't got one of those peak scores um that people love buying off but you know that they have the potential to do that so that you know that period of a month is actually a really good accumulation phase for you in terms of gathering as many features you can and then riding that big upwards for example like the golovin trade that i think you're you're kind of into at the moment (laughs) yeah i like golovin but yeah that's spot
1: on i think these average guys, I guess they're going to be less volatile and hold their price because people see they're scoring highly every week, whereas someone like Golovin isn't going to score highly every week, but it can appear with a 250 score occasionally. So those are the kind of players I like because, yeah, you can, like NABRI the other night, you can buy them and they can explode immediately. Or You, you kind of have to be patient with them as well because people get like... Like I remember, I've told friends to buy players or something. They're like, "Oh, he's only scoring like 50 points every week." And like, "Yeah, yeah, patience because the fact that he's scoring 50 points doesn't really mean anything. We're not holding him for.
0: Hmm.
1: We, I don't want to hold a player to score 150 points every week. I want to hold a player who's going to score 50 points and 300 points. That'd be ideal. Yeah, yeah I'd rather have like five 50 point scores and a 350 point score and five 150 point scores." So yeah, it's quite an interesting one. That that Golovin trade as well kind of shows it where, so he his price was held back um, whilst other similar players were rising. So there's kind of that was a case for like ca- comparative value, I guess. Not with, but it's comparative value of like apples and apples comparing players of similar types where. Um, similar players to Golovin had hit that big score and exploded and you can kind of extrapolate that and say Mm -hmm. well well, when Golovin demonstrates that he has the potential to do the exact same thing he can explode too so yeah, that's kind of how I'd prefer to approach things Like, there's there's not one approach to anything maybe someone has a really good way of using averages but for me, I want those players that are going to win dividends and going to have those big price rises
0: Yeah, I think that aspect, the Endorphin rough or endorphin rush, rather, when someone can win a massive like the Gnabry one, right? You know, a lot of people were buying before yourself included, which I think we'll touch on earlier, uh, later. Sorry, but you know, it's not exactly a guy that you'd think. Scores averagely well on PB. He probably needs to score or needs to get a couple assists or three yeah. assists or yeah. whatever he, to be in a shout of of getting a good score. But a lot of people bore off the back of that four goal haul, which he probably won't replicate this whole season again. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. But, but he, it's, he's a it's, prime it's he's a prime
1: example because if you look at Bayern Munich's midfielders, you wouldn't if you were looking at averages, you would not touch him because you'd see like. Tiago Cantor or Tolisso or someone like that. Yeah, he's more expensive than both of them now. Yeah, as he should be, in my opinion. <laughs> but um, yeah, you would look if you were looking at averages, you would buy, like, Tiago's going to score 200 points every game. Like, great, but that's not going to win you dividends when like, it doesn't have to be NABRI. It could be anyone scores two or three goals on a treble day. Someone's going to do it. As a general rule, sometimes it doesn't happen. I mean, Callaghan run the other week without scoring... But I think that was the first time a forward one treble day without scoring. So, yeah, that can show yeah. you how, how
0: rare that is. So, goal is important it is they, they certainly are very important um we've got a question here from raw hides do you watch all your potential purchases before buying or are some purchases purely on data analysis if some purchases are on pure data analysis how do you predict an improvement in the player's performance that's a tough question but a good one yeah
1: a uh, very good question a smart guy raw hides to be fair he's made some very good points to me before Yes, yeah, so data often flags a player for me maybe even a player i'm not aware of just because like there's hundreds of games played every week i can't watch like watching the games obviously excellent but i can't watch all those games i don't don't know if anybody can but fair play to them if they do but i can't (laughs) like i don't i'm not going to be watching sassuolo against Brescia to be honest with the best will in the world but yeah i flagged a player hit like stefano Sensi was one that I'd never seen him play I'd never heard of him <laughs> until he he flashed in a spreadsheet but but then I didn't just go heavily on him because of the spreadsheet i I'm a big fan of those um I don't know if you see them on youtube they're um every touch videos of players uh
0: yeah 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 just like full highlights from a game
1: I really like those along so if I find a player in a spreadsheet I'm quite I like to go through a few of those if I'm going to invest quite a lot of money in them kind of see what they're about they're really good because they're kind of condensed down what that player's doing you can kind of see that like, oh he's getting near the box or he he looks like like with sensor. you can kind of see he was maybe a bit better than all the other players on his team so you can see that like, oh there's a potential like he's going to get a good transfer or something like that so yeah date is always a starting point for me but not the be all and end all I would try if I can't watch them I would like find not just like every touch videos or something like that, but also like respected opinions on them. Like it takes 10 seconds to Google the player and find articles on them. Like, uh, so like sites like Statsbomb and places like that, where they don't just analyze the stats, but run into like the player behind them and Mm. things like that. It's really handy. Yeah. So yeah, like I wouldn't go off just pure data. Again, we talked about like interpreting the data as well is, are you just using Sensi's example because I just have him here but um, so Sensi like that was quite funny actually in in the Arnold thing where he someone like people were digging through my portfolio to find players to drag down and they picked out Sensi because his stats weren't that brilliant at Sassuolo because he was playing for Sassuolo so (laughs) when you're looking at his data you're like oh it's not amazing but if you compare him to all the other Sassuolo midfield players, you say, "Oh, well, he was levels above." And then you look at the Inter players, and you say, out oh, Inter players score more highly. I think the, I think someone called Luar Luar on Twitter kind of he did a good analysis where he like kind of had a look at the scoring of the Inter Milan players and then ran Sensi stats through. Kind of it's not perfect, obviously. Kind of seeing the kind of score Sensi could expect to hit if he could perform on the same level as those guys. And again, like that's not just data. Where like I kept an in pre-season, watched all the videos of his performances and things like that. Like noted he was on set pieces. He's a good example of like how data can flag a player, but it's it's not like the end point of analyzing a player. You need to interpret that data. And you need to, um, if I'm going to buy like thousands of shares in a player, I want to kind of know they're a good player. To be honest, don't don't want to buy like a player who's. Stats are great, but it's rubbish. Which there aren't many of those, to be fair. But yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I think looking at players and watching them play, sometimes I think you can. I don't know if you watch football enough or if you know football enough, you can see that a player is is going to be something. You might not be too sure, and you might get it wrong at some points. But sometimes your gut can be a very good barometer of how good a player is going to become. Yeah, no, that's true as well. Like,
1: well, your gut feeling is kind of that's data as well. That's your brain. So, that's your brain Mm. flicking through every player you've ever seen and going, okay, he looks like X and X and X, and he can, Mm. like, he. Mm. So, it's going through data points of like, oh, he, I've seen lots of wingers play, and this, like, young wingers play, and this guy seems to have, like, be a level above. I remember the first time I watched Sancho, um, he had a lot of things, lots of young wingers have. He's, like, fast, skillful. But the thing that impressed me the most with him was kind of the end product was there. He was kind of playing like wingers I'd seen who were good wingers who were like 25, 26, 27 at the age of 18. And that's why he kind of flashed to me as like a player that's like, wow, this guy is like ridiculous.
0: Mm, mm. I think I had the same feeling with Mbappe actually. It was kind of like, wow, where on earth have I seen this before? It was kind of like flashes of Omri and the original Ronaldo and I was kind of like he's scary yeah the uh, first time I saw him as well yeah the, I kind of thought R9
1: Brazilian Ronaldo yeah kind of yeah and again like that's what you're doing is like you've watched lots of football so you've kind of seen similar players you've gone wow the only player like you run through all the strikes you've seen and the only two players that flag out you're like oh okay <laughs> this guy looks like these two players he must have something about him so so I'd say that's a data point too, if we're like stretching the definition of data. Like that, that instinct is
0: kind of formed on data or even without you knowing it, kinda of, that feeling. I've never thought of it that way, but you are right. You are automatically comparing him to people subconsciously or players subconsciously, even if you you're not doing it intentionally. Yeah, exactly.
1: You've seen enough football to know what an elite footballer looks like. There's a really good book actually. It's called Blink. It's about um, this kind of thing where, like, it essentially argues that uh, your intuition is basically a data model. It talks about a guy called, mm. I can't remember the guy's name, probably worth looking up if anybody's interested. I think it's Daniel Braden or something like that. But he basically, what he could do was he could call a double fault before the ball was ever hit. So, as the ball went into the air and the player took their stance, he could call a double fault very accurately. And it's because he had seen he was tennis coach, so he had seen so many serves that he, he kind of noticed something was off as they mm. went to hit the ball, and it, he had a really good success rate with it, like way more than like it's statistically likely. And that was because like his brain was almost a supercomputer at that point because it could see like <laughs> it had seen so many serves that basically what it was doing was running like, where have I seen this serving stance before? Oh, double faults. That's going to be a double fault. He didn't know that's what was happening, but he could just go, Oh, double fault. And um, yeah. So yeah, the intuition possibly could be considered another source of data to
0: be honest. So yeah. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Really interesting. Uh, we'll move on though before this becomes like a three hour. Oh, we podcast. can continue after if you want. <laughs> <laughs> We can. Uh, Russell George, with a high volume strategy, did the matrix change cause you to change a lot of positions? And does a high volume slash low number of players strategy leave a portfolio open to future Southern, maybe poorly trailed, <laughs> changes by FI? Which is actually a really good. No, that's a great question. I thought about this one night. Like, I was actually very fortunate
1: with the change that so my biggest holdings were like, the change did, to be fair, it did favor like good players, key pass dribbles tend to be signs of good players. So like my bigger hold is like Sancho kind of benefited from that. I was sitting quite pretty on that one, but I kind of thought from the other point of view, if I was holding a load of high baseline center backs and fullbacks had just been given key passes and dribbles, I'd be a bit like, not, that wouldn't be ideal. And again, like, I'm not a huge fan of when FI themselves meddle in the market too much like making a matrix change right on the eve of the season, even though I benefited very heavily from it. Um, If I was holding different players, I don't think it was too bad with the matrix change. It was when in play dividends came in and kind of destroyed defenders for a bit was a bigger example of that kind of being ha- kind of happening. And yeah, like he's right. It, you kind of have to have that. If you're holding like high volumes of players, you have to have, bear that in mind is that Fi might come in and, change something from underneath you so it's probably good to have a range of angles covered i think i talked about that before where like i don't i try not to ignore the trend but i buy the best players from the trend so I, i've kind of got that base covered with a player mm-hmm. i kind of think is actually worth the money i've spent on him so
0: like or at least worth the money compared to the trend yeah yeah exactly going.
1: so it, it'd be like just to completely ignoring a trend is silly but just blindly buying into players based on that trend is as we saw before, deposit bonus where players start sliding back down is a kind of a recipe for disaster, so yeah, I'd pick the quality like, so when young players arise, and I'd pick up the ones I thought were the best position to kind of compete for dividends and kind of yeah, so the best quality young players where even if this young trend stops I'd still be happy to hold them, mm. but, but yeah, so yeah, you have to consider that, at least for me I try and consider that kind of stuff because yeah, if things change then things can change at the top of a hat so
0: they really can when you're in the moment it seems like this trend's never gonna end and then suddenly people are buying this player and that player and that player so it's i think those trends and that kind of sentiment quote unquote <laughs> can change quite quickly <laughs> it can't it? Word, yeah. it yeah yeah um yeah again like it's silly to
1: ignore the trend but buying blindly into them which i think happens quite often is a bad idea because you end up stuck with a player you don't really have a reason for buying other than he was rising which yeah is <laughs> when he stops rising what's the reason for holding him and then if there's a lot of people like you holding that player because he was rising and then he stops rising you're all kind of edging towards that exit door so I, I like to have a player that at least like I'm happy to hold um, it if he plateaus for a bit you know Yeah,
0: yeah, I know what you mean. And I think it's interesting, actually, like people I recently put out a video about kind of why players fall. And I think a lot of people do panic when they do see the plateau or a slight dip. People do seem to think that for some reason that makes their bet less valuable yeah,
1: it which is really anything, interesting it? yeah thing. yeah you've you i watched the video actually it was a good video recommended Thank for one next you. guide on youtube people worth a follow but yeah it's interesting isn't it because it hasn't like the good thing about my approach i do miss some of these spikes like halland or malin recently i wasn't on because i just didn't see the value in them but so i missed out there but on the flip side uh, when my players plateau or drop, I kind of have them pegged as value already. So I'm happy to kind of buy some more. So it's, it's almost a good thing quite mm. often where I, I think, yeah, sorry, Golovin again. Golovin's <laughs> <Gullivan's> never <laughs> been spoken about so much. I'll, I'll send him a copy of this podcast. But um, <laughs> yeah, so he, some a big colder sold recently. So I bought more because he fell below kind of what I valued him at. And that's because when I'm buying the player, I have kind of what I think he's worth in mind um, when I'm purchasing him. So if he drops below that, I'm, I'm kind of... Uh, obviously, it's not great to have a player drop, but sometimes I am rubbing my hands together thinking, yes, I can kind of get... I didn't get enough of this guy now. I can kind of pick him up cheaper. Wouldn't take that to the timeline, though, maybe, and tweet top-up time. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sign of a panic is when people are celebrating the player dropping onto a... <laughs>
0: Do you find that strange that I think, I don't remember who tweeted this the other day, and uh, sorry, I can't give you any credit, but they kind of talked about if you're talking about a player on the timeline, then you're not buying anymore. And if you think they're still value, then you simply just don't have the capital to buy anymore. Surely you should just be making capital available to buy more of that player if you think they're value, because if you think they're value, then you think they're going to rise. And is interesting this kind of people buy and then just think oh i'm done now let me tweet about it or let me talk to people about it whatever they do where in actual fact that can actually be detrimental to your trading strategy it might be good short term but mid to long term it might not be as good yeah
1: definitely like it's true of me where i quite like to discuss players i like like to get different views on them but sometimes like the player i found is really good and he rises off it and i'm always a bit like Oh yeah that's good but also I might want more room at some point I think I tweeted about Odegaard kind of discussing like stats and stuff and I was like actually I want more Odegaard and the price has gone up because people have seen my tweet (laughs) so yeah it's it's kind of like when people are tweeting a lot about a player you're a bit like well if he was that good wouldn't you be buying more (laughs) like if I've got an absolute gem that I think is really undervalued I'm not going to tweet him properly Until at least until I've got some and I'm kind of looking for, like, it's good. Like, you can kind of tell to be fair what people's motives are because some people are interested in discussing the player. Like, I'll post out like stats and like things like that, and people reply underneath with things I might not have considered, like, oh, he was linked to X Club. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, so that's good. Whereas if it's kind of more only positive comments are allowed, it's, uh, yeah. a little bit more that they just want to rise in the player Mm, mm. it's interesting to think about though isn't it yeah because as much as it is good to discuss a player if you have a good one do you want other people buying into them Mm, probably not too quickly
0: i yeah it's a strange one i think it's but then we'd never discuss any players Yeah, yeah yeah i think the discussion aspect's important but i do really think that there is there is a level up that maybe the fi community need to go into and i think we see that a lot with the kind of fpl community and how they discuss players where you see someone say oh has anyone just transferred in this player which would be the equivalent of oh has anyone bought this player not getting much traction yeah. but when you see posts like "Ah, uh, again I think it was Dougal, Dougal Maguire, or is that his name? Where he talks about the, the Pogba thread and how he's playing deeper this season and now that will obviously make him... That was a really good thread, ma- yeah. Amazing thread, really, really good. And it did really well on the timeline, but we really don't see enough of that kind of analysis on Twitter. And I think it's... Well, um... least... <laughs> uh Yeah. Sorry, when you do that kind of analysis people get upset <laughs> i mean sure but there isn't much you can do to rebuttal that analysis people can get upset but then they're they're getting upset at facts really
1: yeah you, that was a really good thread you bring up. i forgot about that one but yeah that's kind of more i think as the platform grows as well probably an individual tweet will have less impact on a player especially at the lower end of the market i mean there's a reason like Accounts that maybe like to promote their players pick players from the lower end of the market is that one tweet can cause a big movement. Like Popper, it's not going to cause anything really.
0: Mm.
1: But yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to think about. I mean, yeah, the way fantasy football discusses players, it's quite open and like someone will appear and say actually, like like someone will say, I was thinking about buying Popper, and someone will appear and say, yeah, Popper might not be on pens anymore and is playing deeper, so he's lost a lot of his appeal that's kind of quite that's useful discourse right so the person who's posted and people reading it kind of can take something away from that um yeah i
0: think it will mature though i think we'll see some maturity in the fi community not that it's not mature but i think it's it's mimics the product in the way that fi isn't mature do you know what i mean like yeah yeah. a thin market there's no order books. it's quite easy to tweet about a player and they go up etc like Those aspects are obviously going to lead to what we see currently, which is very, I'm not going to say primitive, but not as evolved as kind of like FPL. And it it would be surprising if it was because FI is only four years old.
1: Well, yeah, when FI gets the same number of people as FPL up here great day <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it 3 million people play or something like that yeah I think it's like 7
0: or 8 who sign is up at the really? beginning of the season yeah it's insane so uh, yeah, yeah so that'll be sort of 1 or 2 million actually keep up for the season but mm. yeah mm. Ben Scott's got a question here what percentage of players do you hold or percentage value do you have in one day one week one month three months six months or a year and above holds yeah it's, no, that's a
1: good question I tend to think more longer-term, especially on going, with- so percentage-wise, like if I'm going to put sort of 5 to 10% of my portfolio into a player, it's, it's going to be longer-term. It's going to be a player that I think is heavily undervalued, mm. and it will take some time for the market to correct that, or him to prove that he's worth more than what I bought him for, basically. So if I was going to hold a player long-term, long-term on the index at the moment is like a month or more. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so... If I'm putting a heavy percentage in, it would be a longer term holding. When you're dealing with kind of some, the amount I would buy in a player, you have to be a bit more pragmatic with shorter term holds. Like if I'm buying a player for a run of fixtures or because I think he's a bit undervalued and will probably rise on a goal or something like that, I need to buy enough where I can sell into market quite quickly. Like it's all well and good being sat on 10,000 shares in a player that's gone up 10p, but. If I can't sell those to market, I'm going to be losing a big chunk of my value. Mm. So I'd probably limit myself to kind of 1,800 shares or so of them, like 2p of value, so I can sell them quite quickly. So yeah, it's definitely something you need to consider when I'm considering how long I'm planning to hold a player for. Like If I have a date in mind when I'd like to sell him, then I need to have a, like an amount where I can sell them to market fairly easily. Whereas, um, that if I got a longer term hold, I can drip them to market because I think they're gonna hit a good value and stay at that value, um, so I can put more of my percentage in. That all might change with order books. If, if when order books come in, if they come in, that kind of trading will be easier to do or should be in theory we
0: didn't get any questions about order books what are your feelings about it at the moment because a lot of the questions that we got and we did get a lot there was like 40 or so uh, were mainly about kind of strategy arnold gate etc but there wasn't any mainly about the fundamentals of the product and, and how that might change so it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on kind of order books and whether or not you're excited for those to come into play
1: yeah i think with most new stuff like that, i'm cautiously excited depending on how they're implemented that they could be a really good addition like at the moment you can kind of see that inefficiency with Pogba where the spread's pretty big and like people hold him that would probably sell him for so I'm not sure his price at the moment but say it's £5.90 and the spread's at £5.10 or something like that there's probably people holding him that would value him at like £5.60 mm. but wouldn't sell for £5.10 and that's a big like inefficiency there because but I might be looking at it and thinking, I would love to buy pop of £5.60. I'm not going to pay £5.90 for a player I want to buy at £5.60. Um, and they're thinking, I would love to sell at £5.60. But at the moment, that's impossible. Like, the only way for me to get that price is for them to... Is even for a massive sell queue to form all those people to instant sell him. Whereas when order books come in, be able to match quite quickly. It'd be really interesting to watch, though, like in play trade and things like that. When a player scores a goal, like orders getting cancelled and matched and everything flying around. So it'll be a big change. That might be the biggest change the index
0: will have had. I'm not sure. Probably since PB. I wasn't around then, but. I think it's going to be the biggest change, kind of fundamentally, to the platform. Apart from maybe instant sale? Yeah, I wasn't around for that either, but I imagine that was a big deal. But again, that was kind of just mimicking the way we sell right like it was just selling but instantly i get uh, i don't know maybe i guess order books could be seen as basically the same thing right you are just selling or buying <laughs> it's not really changing that it's just changing the mechanic
1: yeah. it's just yeah, yeah it's just the buyer is foot when that's the moment of buying the shares back essentially whereas the buyer will be another trader so yeah that, i think they'll be yeah again cautiously optimistic about them i think they're needed. Uh, quite a lot of people, like if you speak to like, so I've introduced the platform to friends who are like, they work in stocks or something like that, Um, trade at different forms of trade and they're quite surprised there isn't an order book in place already. So yeah, on the flip side, there'll be people who'd never encounter an order book who would be a bit confused. Mm. But yeah, so it could be a tumultuous time. I think it's good. Definitely a good change. Um, For football nets themselves, it should increase trade in which increase the commissions they're going to take which yeah. I guess is the end game.
0: I think it's going to be very good for FI as a company and as a business model. I think it's going to be yeah, interesting to see how traders react to it, really. Yeah, it shouldn't change too much, even if you don't
1: understand the order, book, it won't hopefully it won't change too much where you'll still see a buy and sell price. The sell price should be more favorable to you than the spread price. Hmm. So if anything, it should be an improvement for everybody. Even people who don't really want to use them that much, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, it wouldn't be football index if someone
0: didn't cause a panic. So <laughs> We'll see, won't we? Uh, profit Hunter, his second question for the show, what would you say are the most or least important stats to consider when buying a player? So to back onto your strategy. Two stats, goal threat, baseline. The most important
1: ones to look at for me. Goal threat, we're really hard to win without goals. I think there's probably like maybe 10 players who can consistently challenge about scoring a goal and they're all really highly priced anyway. Talking about like Alexander Arnold, Kroos, uh, Parejo, players like that who can win without scoring, but they're well known for being able to do that. So there's, there's not really too much value there. I mean, they can be undervalued, but goal threat important. And then baseline, you want to put that baseline together with the goal threat. So like the reason why Messi is exceptional is because for forward he has a really high baseline and he has a ridiculous goal threat. So he's just got he just has both together. So like like last night you saw he won he got a couple of, he got an assist didn't he yeah he might, he beat so Suarez scored two goals with a game winner and Messi beat him with a single assist that's because Messi's baseline's way higher so mm-hmm. you you kind of got to look at both looking at one in isolation isn't going to help too much because um, high baseline players tend to have low goal threat you're looking for that gem who's got a high baseline and high goal threat. But again, it's not as linear as that because you kind of want to consider like, so if a player's playing for like Paderborn in Germany, <laughs> when they play Bayern Munich, they might not have any baseline or goal threat. Or if they're centre-half or something, they might have a high baseline against Bayern Munich and no goal threat. And then, but then you might look at them playing Union Berlin, he has got a lot of goal threat and a good baseline, or they might flip around. So you kind of need to look at, especially with players from lower teams, you that's another reason why I didn't mention that, why averages aren't that useful, at least to me, is because it, the games you win in aren't, there's it, not an average game. Like, uh, So a Paderborn striker isn't going to win when he plays by Munich in all likelihood. Yeah. You want to see how he's going to score against Union Berlin or Cologne or a lower-placed Bundesliga team.
0: Yeah, because with a player like that, if they do make a transfer, for example, you then maybe have, say, if they went to Bayern Munich from Paderborn, then you've got some data backing what it's going to be like when they're playing for the dominant team from games when they're playing teams that are way worse. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, Sensi again is the perfect
1: (laughs) answer for that. Yeah, so... For Sassuolo, they would quite often actually bench him against the best teams because he was kind of a luxury for them because they wouldn't have the ball. Um, but then against the weaker teams, he would have all the ball. And then you can kind of extrapolate that and go, well, we're playing for Inter Milan. They're going to play a lot of teams where they're going to have all the ball and kind of say, well, that's going to raise the chance of winning quite a lot Um yeah, that's a really good point, actually, is that you can kind of move those stats across to different teams. You have to be careful about how you do it, but especially with baseline, because lots of players' baseline includes like set-pieces and things like that. But Do people get confused with averages and baselines quite a lot? I think possibly. I think lots of people talk about baseline when they're not talking about baseline as well. Mm. They, they say, like, 150 PV, no goals or assists, which is essentially baseline yeah but uh, maybe the terminology can be confusing maybe Hmm. someone with a following in the community could do a glossary of terms (laughs) just an
0: idea hint hint i think i've (laughs) done that in the past actually oh have you Uh, i'm not gonna retweet that (laughs) yeah Yeah, (laughs) an update maybe (laughs) yeah yeah maybe Good for SEO. (laughs) Well, it's time for a small plug of Index Gain right now. They are basically a third-party data provider for football index they do some amazing things they can show you amazing things such as baselines such as pb averages and such as you know goals assists, clean sheets for those ipd holds they also have a flourishing amazing community on slack do check them out they also do like amazing portfolio tracker things on the Slack app where you can basically input all your players or you know, players that you hold and they can track the prices. You can see how far they've fallen or risen over a minute, an hour, a day, twenty-four hours whatever time parameter that you want to set and you can see how much they've fallen or risen and give yourself notifications which is really really useful if you guys do want to check them out head over to indexgame.co.uk and with the code fig2020 you can get 50% off your first month Uh, the next question is from phil tyra Uh, It's been on the podcast before, and I always think it's Tyler, but it's not. Um, (laughs) Many, if not most, the players on the index can be seen to be bad value, if considering whether they will return their price and dividends over their career. Do you believe that their current prices already have a future dividend increase built into them? And therefore, if there was a dividend increase and players increased off this news... Oh, God, I forgot the last bit of the question in my notes. That's annoying. <laughs> Bloody hell. Uh, it was a long question. It was a long question. It was so long <laughs> that F.I. Elliot said, might have to read this question out loud three times in the pod. Sounds like a 30-mark question you used to get back on, the- <laughs> back on an English exam, which is funny. And he's actually correct because I've stumbled in reading it, probably more through uh, my uh, error in preparing more so than anything So it says, and therefore, if there was a dividend increase and players increased off this news, that they would again be in a bubble that is immune to intrinsic valuation.
1: (laughs) I'll send Phil some references after this for this question. (laughs) It is is an Azam style question. (laughs) It is. Yeah, he's right, I think. There's, there's a lot of players that won't, probably the majority of players, won't return their value in dividends over their career. So when you're buying them, you're essentially buying an asset that isn't going to return its value, which generally is not a good idea. But he's also right that built into them is the expectation of future dividend increase. I'd say that's probably quite efficient, to be fair, having, so, having a dividend increase built into values. Well, why do you think that's efficient? Because having there's more information in them is like having like mm-hmm. improvement priced into a young player. It's like like if we think there's like I don't know what the chance are div- but an eighty percent chance of a dividend increase, let's say an eighty percent chance dividends double in the next three years or something like that, that probably won't happen, so don't take that as gospel. But um then it would make sense to have that priced into value somewhat, right? Like mm. if you're looking at buying Sancho and you think, okay, well, it might be hard for him to return. Eight pound in dividends or whatever. Um, if I'm anticipating they're going to double in three years, he probably will. So it kind of makes sense for that to be a built into decision making. I don't think the markets done that deliberately. No, no. <laughs> I think that's purely accidental, but kind of kind of accidentally stumbling into some efficiency there, <laughs> and it feels right that if that's a cycle that perpetuates. Interesting that value isn't going to ever catch up to the current dividend payouts, and there's always going to be an expectation for an increase.
0: No, that's probably why at some point we'll kind of stop this model, won't we? Yeah, oh, it
1: has to. You can't
0: have perpetual dividend increases, I don't
1: think. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not the decision maker behind those kind of decisions. Um, Do you have any ideas of what they could do to make it so it's not that? (laughs) We talked, I think. I've heard mooted before, like maybe a percentage of volume traded paid out as dividends hmm. could be interesting. I don't know how they would manage that because then you can have the treble single days kind of thing. be really difficult to
0: manage. Um, I mean, we're not going to have that problem for a while. I don't think. hopefully. No, no. I think we're at least as long away from that as FI has been alive, I think. Oh yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's a cam we can kind of kick
1: down the road for a little bit and ignore for a while. <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah, no, Phil's right. But also, you've got to trade the reality, not what each player should 100% like it is worth bearing in mind. But you've got to trade on the information we have. I mean, two, three years ago, people were buying Ibrahimovic at six quid, was it, or something like that. How much was he, written? I wasn't on it at that point. He was seven,
0: seven quid at one point, seven twenty. Seven quid? Yeah, and <laughs> uh, just, just and for the,
1: the 5p dividends basically, yeah. So if he won every day, he could win pound fifty. is that right? I've done my son's badly there in a year. Um, he put me on the spot now. Yeah, I put my I put my self on the squad Hold on, zero point zero five. I think times that's wrong. Three six five. I think you could win eighteen pounds. a yeah. terrible math. That's <laughs> out by a factor of ten. But yes, yeah, so if Ibrahimovic won, let's say Ibrahimovic won, how much would Ibrahimovic have won
0: back then? Uh, he was winning a lot, <laughs> which is probably why that why he was kind of like that. He was winning MB every time he scored. And then probably like the day after that and the day after that. So it was... So maybe 30% of the time? Yeah. I mean, he was winning a lot. That had its own problems in it. It makes
1: everybody else essentially worthless. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah um, exactly. So if we put Ibrahimovic down, let's say £5 a year in dividends, he was like, how old was he then? 35? 35, yeah. 34, 35. So, so people were paying £7 for a thirty four, thirty five year old who was returning £5 a year. Yeah, <laughs> so it's probably better than it was at that point. I mean, that's a crazy, crazy price. <laughs> but yeah, I think probably we're getting closer to, well, the price have gone up so much now, but compared to that, considering people were willing to pay that with the inherent risk involved, um, it probably applying too much rationality to it is a mistake. So bear it, I always try and bear it in mind, but don't like stick to it as a hard and fast rule.
0: I think it's really going to be interesting to see how FI deal with that. Obviously, it's like four years away, as I said, at least probably. But the order book thing is probably the first step in that direction. But again, back to the bad value thing and whether or not price or dividend increases are actually built into them. I think they probably are to some extent especially with those younger players where their trajectories are completely unknown, you can kind of make the case that, oh, if I buy Sancho now and he goes to Man U next summer and there's a dividend increase in 2021 or whatever, then you're looking at a really good bet currently. Yeah, exactly. You're you're
1: right. It's kind of placing two bets at once, isn't it? It's not just betting on Sancho, but also betting on the index going for strength and increase of dividends. So, yeah. To some extent, that's what we're all doing when we buy players. We're placing, placing two bets on not just on the player, but on the index itself. Mm. So is an interesting way to look at, it. especially this, when you think about like Sancho at nineteen. Well, <laughs> so when he's Messi's age, so that's like thirteen years away. <laughs> 14, <laughs> Fourteen years. Away, what is the index going to look like? Like no idea. So yeah. yeah, you're kind of like when you're talking about intrinsic value, there you're kind of taking a bit of a like the longer. The further away things are, the harder it is to make like accurate predictions on them. So, yeah, you, again, like you've got to kind of think about it, but it's not going to, at least in the short term, it's not going to have a big impact.
0: It's really interesting. I think it plays on the psychology of the index a lot because we are stabbing in the dark so often, but... I think that also breeds a lot of opportunity because if it was perfectly efficient and we had all the information, it'd be a lot harder to make money and and no market is ever perfectly efficient. You know, people are, you know, companies are IPOing and then falling 60% of that IPO value or they're IPOing and going up like 150% over the next three months. Someone yeah, would say that. All. Yeah. 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 Of course. But like, do you know what I mean? Like a company, if they do IPO at that, that kind of price, then they have been priced incorrectly and inefficiently.
1: Yeah, oh, you're spot on there. It's uh, the more inefficient the market, the more opportunity there is for you. I mean, the, the stock market is very inefficient. Yeah, like the FTSE 250. So it's really hard to make. Like it's almost pure luck as to whether you outperform the market in like in that. Like even the best head fund managers don't really. We can't really say whether they're skilled or whether they're just getting a bit lucky. Because the market's so efficient that everything's already priced in, so yeah, can't embrace the inefficiency probably is the best way to <laughs> to deal with it. Like we can complain that players cost too much or too little, but you know, eventually they should correct. So that's kind of that's kind of the side I play quite often. As I buy a player whose price I expect to correct in line with the market, and then quite often it
0: does. So. And it's hard because the, the market has been propped by so many different rules and, and dividend increases that it's hard to kind of say, oh, I told you so, you know, about that player because situations could have completely changed or game rules could have completely changed.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this time last year, we didn't have him play dividends, did we?
0: No, no.
1: See, you can imagine that. Like, it feels like so long ago, but we didn't have, like, that was a completely different market where like, some of these strikers that were shot up a lot barely worth anything because mm. they couldn't win pb really or mb now they can they've got their own category and yeah so just a completely different dynamic but on one change made less than a year ago so trying to predict <laughs> what's going to happen in the next however many years is just yeah i mean yeah i didn't think we'd hit this point so quickly to be fair though it's really grown really fast yeah
0: what do you think about in play dividends then we didn't get a question about them, but... I no, know, the, the, like we said,
1: like, less than a year ago, it's already kind of the fabric of the index. Like We don't really even think about the many... Well, we think about them, obviously, in terms of buying pairs. We don't think about their implementation anymore. It just is what it is. But uh, obviously, I hated the implementation of it because they kind of just dropped out of nowhere. I still think defenders are priced wrongly in the in-play dividends. The best strikers score sort of six times the most prolific defenders... So maybe a defender in play dividends should be 6p and not 2p. Mm. That would cause a few <laughs> price spikes if the index wanted to go that way. Yeah, so I didn't like the implementation, but I like the way they work. Like Even for myself, like the instant win of... like So I bought some shares in Pi recently. He hasn't won any dividends, but he scored a goal. And I get an instant reward for that. Even though it's not huge, it's still like... Oh, this is like you can play for them and it, it adds a whole extra dynamic. I, I think they're, they're a really good addition, to be fair. Having have my issues with them
0: at the start, I do enjoy them now. Do you think there's a right balance between them and the rest of the dividends on offer at the moment? Yeah, that you have to, um, that there is a balance
1: to be found there. It, it's working quite well at the moment. Um, obviously, if I want. From their point of view, they want a lot of trading, so making in-play dividends, like in-play dividends, obviously they're only for 30 days, so naturally they cause more short-term trading. So for them, it's great, like they're pro- like if they wanted to like make trading really volatile and quick, they could double them or something like that. But I think that kind of moves away from the USP of the product a bit, where kind of like well we talked about it right at the start, where I was saying like kind of wanting to buy shares in Nabi we're kind of moving away from that if we're doing too much in-play stuff where it's like more just flipping players who have good fixtures and things like that which is is another that's kind of a different business model to what we have at the moment so yeah it's, it's an interesting one because it's kind of playing playing off like what might make the most commission against what makes the product stands out
0: yeah I th- i think they are at the maximum in terms of the balance between those two things and i think it would put a lot of larger investors off if in play dividends increased and the rest of the index's dividends weren't increased in line with that. I think it'd be a very, st- I, like, I can't see why if I had, I don't know, random massive number, £700,000 put into the index tomorrow, I don't really know why I'd find an increase in IPDs appealing, which is kind of a worry for them. Because well it's not a worry, but it's a it's an interesting dilemma because you're like, if we push the boat out too far, then we have more smaller investors, which probably isn't good in terms of like if you imagine all investors that have like over 50k in the platform they're creating this like baseline of value and then Mm -hmm. you have above that another layer of like smaller investors who are probably still long-term creating another layer of value and then on top of that you've got people who would like to trade in and out of players uh, rigorously and have smaller portfolios that are basically making those kind of peaks and troughs above that. But if there's thinner amounts of value at the bottom, then the platform becomes too volatile and FI's market cap is kind of limited to some extent.
1: Yeah, that's spot on. You put it pretty well, actually. But yeah, (laughs) they've kind of caught light in the bottle here. Yeah, moving too much towards kind of the in-play and short-term kind of, yeah, would put off probably some of the bigger investors, I imagine. Yeah. (laughs) It'd be interesting to see how they balance it. I'm not sure when the next big announcement will be. I'm sure we'll
0: be forewarned, but <laughs> you'd think, right? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've said it a few times, right? Like, you know, me and you tomorrow could set up a platform where in-play dividends are the only things there. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like another any, yeah, anybody with a bit of with some funding could set up, and it's basically better on any-time goal scores. At that point, it's just like. Yeah, if PV and MB become, well, especially PV become like a sideshow so we can play dividends, then it kind of moves away from, it does move towards that short-term betting, which kind of maybe other people do better, I'd say. Mm. Especially we're talking about becoming more of like a zero-sum game where there are as many losers as winners. You might as well just go and place a bet at that point.
0: Yeah, yeah, it would to some extent lose its novelty. And I know people have grown to love them in play dividends and a lot of people do like them i i tend to like them i think they're good for FI's business model but i think they got to be balanced with the usp of the product the actual lightning in the bottle that i think you referenced to earlier has to be the focal point of football index otherwise you really question what it would look like longer term Yeah, yeah exactly that's a good synopsis of it basically (laughs) <laughs> uh, everything in balance everything in balance fi headhunter how many of the top 20 players do you think will return their value in dividends without a dividend increase should we do it should we do a game of higher and lower i can read them out you can tell me what uh, who i'm projecting to win their
1: dividend value currently yeah okay yeah we can do that all we'll right start so from one Neymar. Oh, God, I'm going to get accused of causing all kinds of crashes here. You put me on the spot
0: now. Um, Less. You think he'll return less in his whole career? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. My concern
1: with Neymar would be injuries. Okay. Sancho? Mm, More, but cautiously more. Mbappe? Mm. Uh, Mbappe's the hardest one, I think. Mbappe a lot depends on... He needs to move, either find, like, he needs to become the main man at team Neymar, Messi style, to win lots of PB, or he needs to move to the Premier League. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say less. Sterling? Mm-hmm. Again, he needs. <laughs> I'm going to say more on Sterling. I think Sterling's a bit under. Again, like, we're talking about players who maybe haven't returned what they could have done and how that provides value. Sterling is at Man City at the moment which is kind of a media dead zone. When Pep leaves, it'll be interesting to see what happens to him. Does he go Does he go and be a Galactica at Madrid? Does he become like, yeah, we'll see. Uh, cautiously higher, maybe. It's really hard to put out these guys. Pogba? <sighs> oh, God. <laughs> what happens with Pogba? <laughs> I'm going to say higher, just for controversy. And also, I don't know what his price might be down or what it is now when this Pogba five five
0: 589. So let's say it stays that on uh, when this when this goes out on Sunday. Uh, hi more, more let's say more. Okay. Messi? Uh less. <laughs> uh Callum Hudson Odoi, Mm less. It depends. Like
1: see Messi and Hudson adoy is interesting, isn't it? Messi I can kinda of confidently project he'll return less than his value because we have so much data. I'd say, oh, Messi's going to return about £1 this season in dividends. He would have to pay, play at least 38 to return his value. Hmm. So that's quite an easy bet to place, isn't it? Like I can say that like, I don't think Messi's going to play until he's 38, at least not at his current level. Whereas Hudson-Odoi, there's so much that could happen. I mean, he looks really good, but he's also already had a big injury. More, more. <laughs> uh, De-, De Bruyne? <sighs> Less. <laughs> Harry Kane. Okay, the the, <laughs> the master in his air right there. Okay, less. Interesting. If he's at Spurs, less, because he's so boring. He'll just churn out 20 goals a season, 25 goals a season. Nobody will really care. If Pochettino leaves and he ends up at Madrid or something, like Man United's maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less, less, but maybe more. That's my answer <laughs> to all of these, to be fair. <laughs> Mason Greenwood. Uh, similar to hudson Adoy. It depends how highly you rate Racing Greenwood. I've heard that he's a fraud and also that he's the second coming of like Maradona. So I don't know. <laughs> I haven't watched the guy enough to met, have a solid opinion. I'm going to say, he's already winning dividends though. I'm going to say more. He's so young. but will say more.
0: Mohamed Salah.
1: Mm, less. I think. Shout-
0: Oh, go on.
1: I think he might leave Liverpool at some point. We've seen what happens with Pogba. Probably his dividend
0: potential goes down at that point. Right. Jao Felix?
1: Mm, he he needs he need to move less. <laughs>
0: um, Hazard? Less. <laughs> on that one as well. James Madison? ah. <sighs> He has to get less. He has to go to United. Has to go to United. Rashford, more. Oh, interesting. So you think James Madison less, Marcus Rashford more?
1: Yeah. Again, not like there's so much margin for error here. Like anything can happen. But Rashford, because he's already at United, already has that name. Even if he fails, he's going to return dividends. Mm. Like, I always use Danny Welbeck as my example of a guy who, while he didn't do what people wanted him to, would have returned a lot. If you think about his career milestones and what he did.
0: Mm, I don't know. He didn't score that much for United. No, he didn't. But he was kind of like... Like Rashford has a far superior record than him goal-wise. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Rashford's a better player. But again, we're talking about Welbeck as kind of a a failure in in inverted commas because he's had quite a good career and is still playing, to be fair. We're talking about him like he's dead or something. But so Welbeck had... So he burst through at United. He would have won dividends
0: then, I'm sure. But then you need to do something after that. Scored, I mean, lo- scored maybe sco- like-
1: scored loads of goals for England. Scored the winner in the game at the Euros. Um, mm. Scored scored again, Moved to Arsenal. In what would have been quite like, if Rashford moved to Arsenal now, it would have been loads of media. He scored the winner against United for Arsenal. So it's yeah, popped up various times for England as well. Yeah, I think he would have like even him as like a fairly mediocre like Premier League player as a kind of outcast for United did pretty well. So yeah, Rashford I'd say he has that going for him. Let's see.
0: Trent Alexander Arnold?
1: Uh more. That's t- again, he needs he's already returning quite well though. He can already do sort of five to ten percent of his value in dividends, probably. Liverpool are kind of very set up for him, though. It depends on, like, he kind of needs to stay in a team that's going to be set up like that. But he is young, set-piece taker, could be a future captain. (laughs) We're talking so far in the future, it's so hard. Like, none of these, don't take any of these. It's like my projections. It's just gut feeling, basically. (laughs) There's no way you can predict this stuff.
0: Mason Mount? Mm, Less. Kai Havertz?
1: Less. Super, Phil- good, super good player needs to move to the Premier League to justify that price, or become just an absolute beast for performance. Phil Foden, less. We, we haven't seen enough of him. We haven't seen enough of Phil Foden. Tammy Abraham. Tammy Abraham's in the top twenty.
0: Yeah, just about. What a time to be alive.
1: Less, but I do really rate Tammy Abraham if he keeps doing what he's doing more. So yeah, yeah very hard you've got they're all kind of playing off each other you've got a lot of English players there the main men for England probably will if those if they're amongst those young players but they can't all be you can't have Greenwood Hudson-Odoi Sancho Foden Madison like they can't all play for England at the same time and all be winning dividends so yeah tough (laughs) it's a tough question (laughs) I think probably five or six of them probably will
0: so that kind of confirms that people are, yeah, yeah, yeah. You like that ties in with Phil, Phil's question, which is, uh, yeah, interesting. So I mean, you'd think that seventy-five percent of the players, if you extrapolate those top twenty, are hinging on a dividend increase, basically. Yeah, I think.
1: Yeah, well, you kind of remove Messi from the equation because he would need a big dividend increase just to justify that price. We're talking purely in terms of dividends, one, and everybody's kind of playing a game on him where he's going to win a lot of dividends and they think they can get out before he kind of starts declining. So yeah, it's a bit of a different one, isn't it? Again, like when we talk about intrinsic value, people know when they buy Messi that he's probably not going to return that. They just think they can play musical chairs on him and take the dividends and then sell him on. And if people are doing that, then we're never going to get to anywhere near that. So again, like something to bear in mind, but not something
0: to live by. Mm Hmm. Okay, we've got a next question here. Let's address the elephant in the room. Describe to us, and this is from Aaron Palace, by the way. Describe to us in a much detail what was going through your head in the days after your Max Arnold tweet went viral amongst the FI Twitter community. Some comments at you made me feel uneasy and I'm glad to see you're still on Twitter. Yeah, it's quite
1: fun to be part of something that's like Arnold Gate, like people who are on the index at that time might remember it in the future but yeah that was an accident that that went viral usually people just ignore me when i'm talking load of stats stuff people just say okay that's a spreadsheet (laughs) and scroll past but that, that kind of tapped into something i guess like kind of the question is more about like what was going through my mind not too much really um twitter's fun and games like I said I was taking a break because I was basically just muted all my notifications because I had like three day long arguments going on in my mentions and I I was trying to do stuff on my phone and it was just going (laughs) but yeah, so nothing like There's a reason I keep my index account away from my personal account. Um, So so that anybody who does get really pissed off at me, um, won't find me basically Um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah you know it did surprise me how much that kind of resonated with people I think there was kind of an undercurrent of frustration of like like Max Arnold in particular he is a good player like the way he was being built up on stats that were just like they were either people either weren't understanding what they meant or they were deliberately twisting them I'll say the first one charitably but yeah so that's the reason that is because once i kind of i i just posted the stats and talked about them not even much opinions To be fair just kind of these are the facts of the stats and people got really upset by it <laughs> so and, and then you know you could kind of tell that like the argument wasn't going anywhere because they started playing the man not the ball and just kind of digging through my old tweets digging through players i hold like they weren't talking about Max arm anymore it was oh you think this player's good value so you must be wrong and all this kind of stuff so yeah it wasn't really going anywhere just muted it and moved on <laughs> <laughs> that was interesting i've never i've never been viral before I, was, I think the most one of the most humorous tweets i saw was someone wondering like how, what max arnold would think if he searched his own name on twitter <laughs> i did see that and laughed actually i actually saw i actually did that i searched max arnold on twitter and it was all like so there was my tweet there was a tweet about my tweet tweet a tweet, tweet. <laughs> <laughs> max arnold's coming into twitter and just
0: being like what is a pb average <laughs> it's quite humorous <laughs> oh uh, yeah it was um it was certainly interesting i think to kind of be on the sidelines and watch it was interesting yeah but that would it was... have been my preferred position to be fair yeah like it. it would have been entertaining but yeah the thing is though like when some enough people like the tweet a tweet or retweet it then there are a lot of people that kind of felt the same way or agreed with it that's yeah, kind of just how yeah, yeah, exactly. it works you know in terms of working in, in crowds or crowd opinions
1: it was ridiculous. Like I was being accused of causing his price to drop when I never owned a share in him, so I can't cause the price to drop. People cause the price to drop. People selling him. I mean, like, yeah. If you, they obviously didn't think he was worth that price. That's what I was saying before about like buying my players when they dip. Is if someone tweets something bad about one of my players, I go, well, I disagree and just told him. So, mm, mm. I I was confused as to why that was my why
0: I was being blamed for anything. To be honest, <laughs> I've, I've I think said, you, you do have to wonder when a player drops that much off, presumably off the back of a tw- a tweet, that it it was a bit of a game of chicken. Like the the first person sold, then the next person sold, then the next person sold, and suddenly you're 10p down.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because they didn't. The people holding the player were holding him because he was rising, not because they thought he was worth the money or they had been sold to kind of this v- v- version of Max Arnold, who was kind of really good for PB because he was getting all these average, there was lots of averages used and stuff like that. Like you can score 130 PB without any goals or assists. And then he scores two goals a season. Well, so yeah, you know, I kind of just, I thought it would be of use to people um, to see maybe like how I would look at him. Like it was just another piece of information, the fact that piece of information was stronger than whatever we'd been tweeting out about him for two months, it seemed like, and endlessly maybe says something about what his price was built on. I got, I got a lot of messages from people, like people who joined the index and stuff saying like, oh, that was really helpful. And I didn't realize like those stats could be used like that or like that wasn't misleading or whatever. Hmm. that kind of made it worthwhile is seeing people say like oh you know thanks for that it was good to see like i've been buying pairs based on averages so it's good to see you point out maybe that like that's not the best approach and
0: things like that so yeah yeah <laughs> it was an interesting interesting thing anyway it was certainly an interesting an interesting scenario an interesting situation but good to see that a lot of people dm'd you with kind of like mate that was great kind of thing like open my eyes probably blah, blah, blah. i like those kind of tweets and threads that do that to enough people even if people don't agree with them we reference that kind of double dougal mcguire one and i actually thought yours was pretty similar actually yeah it was it was like people
1: talk like people were saying you're deliberately talking down players and then you go down the timeline like mason greenwood has been has been talked down by every man but that everybody's saying that oh, mason greenwood's a ridiculous price or whatever but Mason Greenwood doesn't drop in price. And that's because the people who bought Mason Greenwood have bought him because they think he's got a really good path to dividend. And he's a really good player. Like they haven't seen a tweet on Mason Greenwood that says like, like they're not buying him on false information. So they're not buying him because he's great for PB because like nobody's pushed him on that angle. Like if I came out with a tweet saying Mason Greenwood never even won PB, and nobody, everybody would be like, yeah, we know. <laughs> so And nobody would sell. So it's just, yeah, just an interesting situation. Kind of, I was kind of over it within like an hour or so, and just muted everything because it was just this, like the argument just moved on to something ridiculous that I don't know, don't know why. My friend Stefano Sensi got pulled into it again. <laughs> Someone went and
0: dug through. Get those pajamas on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Someone went and dug through old tweets and pulled out Stefano Sensi humorously one he won performance the, pretty much
0: the next day <laughs> which <laughs> which is a uh, good timing but yeah good timing indeed fi garden has a question here and i hope to see some uh good gardening shots on, on a monday morning even though the, the weather is turning on us paul pogba at what price does he become value again after his dramatic drop and i'm looking at here he is down in the last three months, from a peak of seven pounds fifty-seven, and he's now five eighty-eight, which is uh, uh, is quite dramatic, actually. It
1: is, but he's really interesting as well because easy worth six or seven or eight or nine or ten times lots of players that are priced around a pound. If we're talking purely in dividend terms, But I don't think anybody would really argue against that. It's a lot of players around a pound who might never pick up a dividend. Pogba has demonstrated many times that he will. Whether that makes him worth is when that makes him value. I'm not sure. I think you can talk about value all you want, but when there's a cloud like that hanging over a player, it makes you loathe to touch him, even when he is at kind of a value price. I'd probably be if he was dropping sort of. Uh, No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put a figure on it. If he drops significantly, I'd probably look to buy. Yeah, of course. Like if I thought he was undervalued, but you don't want to end up catching
0: a falling knife. You would. Like to coin the term, yeah. I think it's the thing is though, if you buy him at whatever price, even if he drops a pound from now, and you think that he's going to go to Real Madrid, then are you still going to have that race to the exit door a year from now, say? yeah yeah exactly you just don't know surely people buying in now are hoping that he stays at manu you'd think so but then his
1: media pool seems to be less when he's not involved in a transfer so it's kind of like a lose-lose currently at least the way i'm looking at it is he needs that transfer to push his media it up his performance stats haven't been good um yeah, <laughs> so where's the upside if he stays at United? And yeah, to be in fairness as well, Pop was kind of been done over a bit by um, chains in media
0: like the loss, yeah. loss of treble days, like that, that really hurts. And also, probably the, the guarantee from a lot of people that he would rise if he stayed. Yeah, in fairness, I thought he would rise if he stayed, but like if you made it, that's the thing though. He stayed, but potentially could still leave. It wasn't resolved, was it? I thought if he stayed, he might sign a new contract and get made captain.
1: In which case, Mm. it's captain Man United's Yeah. Like, that maybe reignite his media pool. Probably would. Yeah, and then you'd be looking at, yeah, like his current price, he was captain of Man United and playing every game and, like, either playing really badly and having sooner shell at him or playing really well and making headlines on the pitch, he'd be good value, wouldn't he? But it's kind of, <laughs> it's the same with any markets fair. Uncertainty kind of kills confidence. People don't want to trade on certainty. They don't know things you can't price in. They're really difficult.
0: They are. They are. They are very hard.
1: Yeah. It's the same with like someone, someone like Kimmich at the moment is, like He's got a position change hanging over his head, so it kind of suppresses his price a bit. It's kind of quite similar with that with Pogba, except Pogba's kind of
0: plummeting <laughs> at the moment, I guess. <laughs> it's interesting. Interesting stuff to, to kind of like have a look at with Paul Pogba. Uh, Moz R, who was on the podcast a couple episodes ago and was uh, very good. How the hell did you predict the tra- yeah. Gnabry <laughs> trade? trade. <laughs> Very jealous, by the way. On the back of this, I've seen people comparing Gnabry to similar players that cost more. This begs the question, if one player is higher than a similar player, does it make the cheaper player better value? Okay, okay. so the Gnabry trade,
1: it wasn't a prediction. Your are playing percentages there. What I looked at when I bought Gnabry that morning was um, A, I wanted him anyway. I was quite pleased with myself because it would have been easy to be stubborn sit he'd done well on the weekend. I wanted him before the weekend and he did well and went up. Mm. But I still felt he was a bit undervalued. So that I was quite pleased with myself that I didn't let stubbornness one the day and kind of go, no, he was like, I could have got him last week for X amount. I should, have, I should have done it then. I kind of looked at him as he was. So what I saw there with him was there was a very good upside against the downside with that Spurs game. He was already kind of picking up some media articles for being an ex Arsenal player. It wasn't hard to like think from that that if he got like a goal, he would probably challenge for media and potentially rise in price off the back of that. Um, mm. So he had that's a higher upside for coming into a game than a player usually has because he's competing for dividends on two fronts and he's competing not just with for, for performance but also for media. So I was looking at that and thinking like he was a player I wanted anyway. And the upside reward of him doing well was quite high versus the downside reward of maybe dropping a couple of percent on a player. I would probably... Like, if he dropped a couple of percent, I might well have bought more of him. So just just looking at it, it's like that now's the time to, like... I've missed a rise, but he still looks good value to me. There's an opportunity here tonight for him to do something. Like, the fact he scored four goals, of course, absolute pure luck. That was no... <laughs> I mean, you can kind of, like... He planned it. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of, like he has had good goal threat. He's kind of going along at. Uh, I think he's going on at like point nine expected goal contributions per ninety, which is really good. So that's kind of like, and he would just got over one xG in a game. So it's kind of he was looking like he was primed for an explosion at some point. The fact that it came that night was pure luck, but the fact that he was capable of it wasn't. So yeah, luck that he did it that night, but also maybe a bit of reward for kind of assessing the upside against downside reasonably
0: Mm. well. Interesting. Interesting. I'm very jealous as well. Uh, (laughs) uh, Last question here from Marty Farniok. I hope I've... Farniuk? I hope I've uh, pronounced that correctly. Do you think that any bonus period... It is unfair on new traders, ones that sign up during the bonus, who aren't aware of the aftermath that happens after the sell-off starts. New users will put some money to the start off. During that time, we'll see massive drops once the bonus finishes, as they're buying on high prices already. They are covered with a seven-day £500 money back guarantee. But after such drops, how luckily are they to remain on the platform and recommend to a friend? Hmm.
1: I still think the bonus is a good thing for new users, they're starting their portfolio, they get all of them, they get ten percent immediately back. Like even if they only bought Pogbury's peak price last week, what's he down, like twelve percent? And they get ten percent of that back. So if they if they had made basically the worst trade possible in terms of being sold off after the bonus, they still would have been not far off breaking even. So hmm. I don't think it's a bad thing for new users. Like the timing of it was like the market was kind of starting to it was kind it was getting a bit more logic to it. There was um at least in my opinion there was um players who weren't worth their price were kind of dropping. I think I tweeted like saying um, I was looking down the decrease list and I wouldn't want to buy any of those pairs at those prices. So the fact they were decreasing made sense to me, and obviously lots of people Mm -hmm. agreed because they were decreasing. But then the bonus came and kind of reset everything again. So I guess maybe there's an argument to be made that the bonus allows stagnant holes to be sold to newer players. But they do get the 10% back. Like that's quite a good way to start. Is like I joined when there wasn't a 10%. I'd love to. I probably would have gone bigger quicker if there was. If I was immediately just getting a return like that. Um, Mm. I think actually probably the first time I put like significant money in was drawn a bonus period after the World Cup. So, yeah. I don't think they would be too negatively impacted, but obviously it's unfortunate if they're covered in Uninformed and just bought loads of Pogba. But they could they could equally have bought Nabry or anyone. like. There's no reason to think like they're just going to buy the players that everybody's going to sell.
0: Yeah. yeah, 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 that's true. That is true. I, I think the bonuses are good in a way in terms of locking up not locking up or locking in users but this is a perfect opportunity for someone to become a larger investor yeah yeah precisely FI must have the conversion numbers and i'm
1: sure like a lot of people become big advocates of it after that as in they, they put a lot of money in during the bonus and then kind of see what it's all about it's good for like obviously if you're running along with a small portfolio and then you see, you can get ten percent. You put it in, and then you're like, oh, okay, well, the reward's still good, and I like this, and I put this money in. It's not the end of the world, and it's a good conversion of like smaller customers into bigger ones, I suppose. I don't mind the bonuses too much. The timing of this one was, yeah, you know, like it kind of bailed a lot of people out. I think where we're starting to see people get upset that their portfolios are dropping, which that was farcical as well because there was <laughs> the footy was down what like point 0.1%? Yeah. Like one percent drop and we had like people threatening to withdraw and saying the fun was gone. Point one percent. If you go to like any market, point one percent. the FTSE drop three percent the other day or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. The FTSE dropped point one percent, nobody would even blink. <laughs> and then people it's psychology, isn't it? People see like a red number or as football knows a cleverly done a, a blue number <laughs> and think, Oh, it's going down. And then panic, and you know you get used to that, surely. I mean, if I'm down a little bit, then' really like it's the value of what I'm holding hasn't changed. so as long as I'm not holding a load of valueless
0: players, I'm fine. All right, so <laughs> What did you make of people talking about a dip when the bonus came about? And it was it was kind of weird for me to, for people to be tweeting about like oh what are you gonna do when the dip happens as if it's like definitely gonna happen or if it's gonna be a substantial one.
1: Yeah, it could be yeah seen as one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. It makes sense there to be a dip because if you if you have like ten thousand pounds lying around, you can make a thousand pound quickly and like just sell quickly. Especially if you're in early, you can get the price rise as well. And kind of maybe sell for break even or more. You put in and end up with good money. So it kind of makes sense. There would be some sell-offs. Some of it might be premeditated. So if I was kind of playing on that because I actually used the first bonus to sell up players I thought were hitting a price I didn't like them at. And then I played the second bonus. I actually bought Napri with the money I was using for the second bonus. So that was quite good. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah, so I kind of played off that. I was hoping for a bigger dip. There wasn't really... The dips were tiny. I was kind of hoping for like Armageddon, and like I could be picking up players for like ten percent down or whatever. But there was no none of that. Like there was barely even a dip. So yeah, I was actually a little bit disappointed. I was kind of hoping like I could come in and like scoop up some players I've missed out on, like a I was That's what I was kind of hoping for that as well. I was like is someone I had on my list for a while. Hopefully, like people bail out on him, and it didn't happen. So. Do you think there was a dip? I, I I can't think like
0: I couldn't really. tell. no,
1: no exactly. I, I think we need to define what a dip is as well. Point 0.1% is not a dip. Like yeah, I'd say a dip is like one point five percent or more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's there you go. Footwind next guy definition of dip: one point five percent or more. <laughs> no mention of dips before that. People talking about crashes at point 0.1%. <laughs> I, can't, I just couldn't. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I was. I was laughing at the timeline that day. To be honest, like it, <laughs> it is. Like, it is it, it's, 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 if you press like seven days, you'll see that you're up. Let <laughs> alone, yeah, no. <laughs> but and, yeah, yeah, it, it all got bailed out, and we'll never to be have that again. When there's a bit of a stagnant period, which there there will be, because it's a market, and that happens. Like there, there'll be another point one percent dip at some point, and then we'll probably have the exact same things. So. Yeah, the bonus kind of delayed people Yeah, moaning, just moaning.
0: <laughs> it's just, I think it's just kind of like, I don't know, I think it's just overthinking things and maybe people spending too much time on the index oh, maybe. Exactly,
1: like if you logged in like once a month and that you logged in, in the middle of that, air quotes again, crash, the 0.1% crash that I'll be talking about for you, the Great Depression and Football Index. <laughs> You wouldn't have even noticed, would you? You'd have been like, "Oh wow, I'm up like ten percent or whatever in a month." <laughs> like,
0: yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. I personally
1: wouldn't notice there was even a diff. It wasn't for the footy at the top and Twitter crying everywhere. Um, like, just <laughs> it was what it was. It
0: was what it was, Yeah. Say, uh... <laughs> and, and, well,
1: well, Well, it, it wasn't what it was, according to people on Twitter. <laughs> it wasn't a good one. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, a, a, a minor stagnant period, that's what it was.
0: <sighs> yeah, I think that's a, a good point to end on. But unless there's anything else that you want to talk about or do you want to cover that we haven't talked about? No, I don't think so. I think I've waffled on for a while, haven't I?
1: No. You're going to have to edit this as well, so... Oh dear. Yeah, exactly. I'm making extra work
0: for you. <laughs> Always fun. <laughs> Always fun. Where can people find out more about you if they want to see you slagging off their players, etc.? Yeah, if you want to know who's going to crash 10% next, pbman9 on Twitter.
1: Yeah, that's it, basically. Like, that's all. The, yeah, It's not really much benefit to me if you follow me, to be honest, unless you have good points. So if you have good points, you can find me
0: there. Well, that's where you can find him. You can yes. find me at F I Guide now, F I G U I d e and no underscores amazingly if you guys are uh, commuting i hope this makes your journey to work that little bit quicker if you're not commuting doing whatever you're doing tending to a garden not probably not in this weather actually you probably won't be but uh yeah doing whatever you're doing have a great day and sorry if we didn't get to answer all your questions there was very very many of them uh, even had to sneak in a couple from myself because uh it's peeping man's brain but yeah thanks very much for listening everyone and have a great day